You have been lost, my brother. Do you remember who you are? Where you came from? Always remember I am fear. Always remember I am hunter. Always remember I am filth. Always remember I am nothing. Your legs. That scum! He took them from me! He took them! Who? Who took them? Jedi. Jedi. You remember the mercy, Master. Mercy is a lie, a delusion of the weak to think themselves strong. I ask not for mercy. What? what is it? Brother, what are you saying? Through the filth! Through the grief! Jedi! Revenge. I must have revenge. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Uto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the Clone Army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to Send in the Clones! In this episode, the brutal and hulking Savage Press searches the galaxy for his long-lost brother Darth Maul. His quest takes him to the junk world of Lothomarna, where he finally finds his brother, deranged and incoherent, and with spider legs. Hey, troops! It's your old buddy Bucho on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars. And next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars, he's the mother tells him to my Savage. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. Hello there. We're going to talk about the 87th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's written by Katie Lucas and it's directed by Bosco. And it's season four, episode 21, Brothers. So Robbie, let's roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about Brothers before you rewatched it again this week. And also maybe if you can remember a little bit about what the fan reaction was like back in the day when you and the, you know, the veterans of this show went through it all for the first time. Well, I mean, the thing that I remember the most about this episode was the diner at the beginning. What? There's a... I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you got me, man. Yeah. <laughs> Just for a second. No, I mean... You got me. There's a lot of things to unpack here. I mean, the first thing is, you know, for the first time in the series, we get a red Clone Wars logo at the beginning of the episode that signifies the return of Darth Maul. And they played this up big time. I mean, of course, after the reveal, you know, when we first see, you know, Maul's face. At the end of the Night Sisters arc. Right, right. But when you see that, but I don't remember when that was. There was time. There was time for people to get excited about it and to get right. almost impatiently excited about it. Of course, there's the backlash that came along with it. Sure. Because, I mean, you know, exactly how, all that kind of thing. I mean, for me, this is one of those things where I feel like in a way, it was Lucas, to a certain extent, kind of succumbing to a little bit of the fan pressure, but also because I think he realized that Maul was a character rich with with ideas, and to bring a character like that back was just interesting for the show. And what I love about Maul is he brings a chaos, I mean, not to get into anything for future episodes, but he brings a chaos that is really welcome you know he's a complete loose cannon which is really really a lot of fun to see and i mean you've got savage who's who's almost just like a an unruly brute and even with all the chaos that maul brings 
it's going to be interesting to see how that affects Savage going forward. But, I mean, of course, yeah, I mean, what can I say? I mean, the reveal of Maul with spider legs was just like, what are they doing? You know, what is going on here? What exactly is going on? But I think people were okay with it. Because, I mean, I think everybody, I don't know about everybody, but a lot of people were kind of a little disappointed with the fact that we got such an amazing looking character, a character that maybe had, you know, a lot to say, a lot to do. And, you know, he's killed off pretty unceremoniously in in Phantom Menace. And I feel like a lot of people felt that, that it was a wasted opportunity. So maybe this was a way for them to rectify that. Yeah, I mean, you, you've heard this from me before, but I was one of the very, very few people who didn't love Darth Maul, you know, in the Phantom Menace. And even as someone who, I took a while to come around to the prequels, but I always liked the Phantom Menace. You know, I liked a lot of things about the Phantom Menace, but Darth Maul was one of the things I didn't like. And, you know, it's a line you've probably heard me say before a few times, but the thing that sort of stopped me from really embracing him was that he felt... <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's probably not the best line that I've ever come up with, but where everything in Star Wars feels like it's designed and created for nine-year-olds, Darth Maul felt like he was designed by nine-year-olds, you know, and it's like Lucas got a room full of nine-year-olds together and says, all right, tell us what a villain should look like, and you know, he should look like the devil, you know, and she, he should have horns, and he should have tiger stripes. I don't want to go over it too much, because you're probably bored with hearing this from me by now after <laughs> so many years, but to me, the design is so on the nose, and so lacking in any kind of subtlety you know he's got two lightsabers you know instead of just one it's two what's better than Uh, it's all of that right and so i felt like just as much as jar jar he was just aimed so hard at the younger audience that he never clicked for me and i know i'm in a huge minority here and i know you know people of all ages thought he looked super cool but yeah just that on the noseness about him never clicked for me and also i didn't have any questions about him i didn't think he had anything to say because he's just he's not a character in the phantom menace you know he's just a very very effective i mean he may as well be one of the droids because there's no personality there you know he barely has any lines he's he's a tool yeah he's a tool and the way he moves tells us something about who he is but even that is almost like he's could be just like a super highly programmed droid so i was never one of those who was champing at the bit to have more darth maul or whatever if i'd been watching back in the day i'm sure i would have rolled my eyes at it as well as it happens watching it now you know i've seen solo i've known that he was gonna turn up just because i've heard it you know i know that he is coming back i knew that he was gonna have spider legs and what have you but i almost feel like before we get to that stuff there's just a couple of little notes i had about the earlier parts of the Mm -hmm. episode i mean your favorite bit the uh diner of course oh yeah when anakin and ahsoka are shown to their seats in the diner there's a par one who looks very much like their own the exterminator hanging out in the background with a roadie and you know old tentacle legs Mm -hmm. three eyes their own the old mushroom head himself um, and even earlier in the episode, we find out that even though Ventress said she wasn't going to join the team in the previous episode, she's still drinking buddies with Lats Razi at the start. So I guess that's kind of nice. That's still on good terms. But Ventress and Anakin and Ahsoka all disappear from the story. Yep. And, and Dooku. Right. But I'm sort of more used to Dooku disappearing. Like there's a lot of episodes where Dooku sets something up and then we don't see more of him. You know, he's behind the scenes pulling the strings, whereas Ventress and Anakin and Ahsoka, they are... If we see them earlier in an episode, and it's not just an episode where Anakin's saying goodbye to Ahsoka and she's off on her own thing, usually it means that they are going to be part of the game, you know, and 
Anakin and Ahsoka are almost like on a detective mission a little bit or pulled into one at the start. So I kept expecting them to turn up. And, you know, I kept wondering maybe Ventress is going to turn up. But it turns out really they're only there at the start of the episode just to let us know that Savage's presence can still be felt through the Force. But it gave this episode a fairly unique structure. And I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, I, I want to make that clear. It just was interesting that what seems like it's going to be maybe a chase episode or a pursuit episode, it turns out it's almost like a mood episode in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, if you describe the synopsis to somebody, you go, wait, 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 wait that's yeah. it? That's all that yeah. happens in the episode? Because it's it really is more about setting a mood and setting, like you said, it's setting the stage for his return. And it almost feels a bit arbitrary in the suspense that it's trying to build. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things where it's it's it doesn't completely work for me. I do enjoy the fact that I guess the footprint of Savage Press in the Force is so strong that it's felt by everybody, you know? And I think that's what that was trying to, to convey, and I really like that. Especially the two that have had something to do with them. You know, Anakin has fought him, and Ventress has obviously had more to do with him. And at the end, of course, I mean, not to skip to the end, but Obi-Wan feels... I mean, Yoda feels it as well, but Obi-Wan feels more. You know, we don't show Obi-Wan feeling Savage. We feel Obi-Wan feeling more, and they're obviously super tied together in their history and through the Force. Yeah, I think it's just there's so much... And I think that's the thing that I find a little bit interesting, even now thinking about it even more, is that Maul's rage comes into focus here. And I think that's kind of the cool thing about the episode, is that it's almost like Savage being there to almost force Maul to focus a little bit. And, you know, Maul was lost for so many years. I mean, that's what we're getting at in this episode, is he's just completely lost his mind. But the revenge focuses him so, like, white-hot anger that it... It ripples through the force and Yoda picks up on it, which is kind of a neat idea. Yeah, that's cool. It's funny. I have a note here talking about how that's convenient that Yoda can pick up on it. But if you really kind of break it down, it sort of makes a lot of sense because with Savage being there to make Maul articulate, I think that's what brings him into focus to Obi-Wan. Sure. And you kind of feel now that it's even more, it's like just, it's funny how sometimes you know you i get an idea of an episode and then when we start to talk about it and really kind of articulate what we think about it it changes my view on it just like the previous episode you know when i my change my rating you know at the end so sure. i feel like now it's even more clear because i was i was actually a little irritated it's like okay so yoda can feel mall but he can't feel sidious this whole time right but at the same time sidious is not sidious is trying to keep himself under the radar and maul is basically hollering his rage to the galaxy right yeah and it's the more that I think about it, the more I'm, I'm actually really liking that. It's one of those things that, like I said, I, I probably wouldn't have even given it a second thought if I hadn't talked about it. So that's kind of a neat thing. I mean, it's almost one of those things where you almost wish that they hadn't brought him back. Sure. Because it's sort of, in a way, it sets a, to me, it's like anytime you do something kind of crazy in Star Wars, you're setting a precedent and you're basically letting all of these people know you know, story writers in the future, all these people kind of know that, hey, well, we did this, so if you want right. to go this far, <laughs> yeah. you can... But at the same time, I do appreciate Maul and what he brings to Star Wars. One of the things that I really loved, you know, a lot of people talk about Maul's fighting ability and how funny he is to watch. But my favorite, before this, my favorite Maul moment is when he's pacing and just staring Qui-Gon down right. in between those, those shields. 
it's a mocking, like, oh, I'm going to get you. You know, I just, there's something so, about it that I just, I love it. It's almost pure evil, but maybe I'm nine years old in my head, but I love it. So, I've always loved it. So it's one of those things where even though I'm not a crazy, oh, Maul survived being cut in half and somehow someone made him a spider man I'm okay with it. I'm like, I, I just go with it because I really, really enjoy it. I don't know. Call me what you want, but I really do enjoy it. Yeah, it definitely sets up questions when you see what he's become. And, you know, we know where he's come from because we're in this universe where we already have other characters who are, you know, more machine than man. I mean, Grievous, you know, one of my favorite dudes, he's far more machine than, than he is man or alien or whatever he is you know and of course vader the most famous of all and you know luke ends up with you know a robot hand let's say so the technology is never in question with more i guess it's there's a little bit of a question that when you're cut in half exactly the way that he was i mean anakin had his legs and arms cut off right and so vital organs still intact whereas more you know there's some questions that come up with what happens with you know what usually happens down below I don't know but on the other hand <laughs> you know especially if he, he was cauterized by the lightsaber you know you don't want to think too much about this stuff but on the other hand he's not a human being so how what do we we don't know anything about his anatomy anatomy so you know I was sort of fine with all that I didn't have any problems with any of that stuff and I just loved how the animation of his spider-like movements is outstandingly animated amazingly creepy I got goosebumps when he was tangling with Savage right at the start there when they first sort of tie up. It's amazing. I got literal goosebumps. And then Sam Witwer, his yelps and his hollering and the way that he switches between crying and almost sort of laughing with madness. And like I said in a previous episode, this is a guy that I've heard in a bunch of interviews. I've heard him guesting on podcasts and we talked about him, you know, when we talked about him for the motorcycle in which he played son. And here... I gotta say, I still don't really feel like Maul has much of an actual personality or a character. It's more like he's like a terrifying, malfunctioning droid almost. But what was vocalizations are amazing in terms of expressing the horrific mental suffering that is part and parcel of whatever that malfunction is. So, you know, like I said with the Mortis episode where he's really good at bringing something to Sun, you know, who was a character I didn't really like or connect with this quite simple and short performance he's only in the very you know final act of the episode and not that much of it i get why everyone i get why so many fans hold sam whitwer in such high regard it's just one of the best vocal performances in the show so far it's all expressed almost in music i mean it's almost like a musical performance the way that he modulates the anguish And that's what makes him sort of an interesting character. And at least going forward, you're like, okay, so how? How do you bring somebody back from this, you know? How is he going to be a character that's even going to be that dangerous other than just a whirlwind of terror, you know? Sure. But we'll see. And Whitworth (laughs) is, I'm telling you, Whitworth is top-notch. And one of the things that it's sort of like, you know, when you hear about certain people that you just love, you really root for people that, that seem to have a passion for what they do. Sam Witwer is one of those that even before this episode, even before I knew he was going to play Maul, even, you know, way back, Sam Witwer was kind of known in the Star Wars community as somebody that was a fan first. Yeah, that's how I know him. And just loves what he does. And here, I mean, it's just like, I almost have like this, like a fist pump in my head every time he 
does something awesome. It's just like, yeah, Sam, go, man. Right. His performance here is ridiculously good. We don't know Maul yet. We don't know what makes him tick. We don't know a lot of things about him other than what you've talked about, about him, him being just pure hatred. But you'll see. There's levels and there's things about Maul that are just really, really fun. And Whitworth, God, man, the dude is talented. So, yeah, I'm just saying uh, this is the beginning of a ride, you know, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and the animators do an awesome job with him as well. Even little touches like the way his metallic spidery carapace has kind of scales or something. And I guess they're supposed to represent the hairs, you know, on the back of, say, a tarantula or something, which is, you know, my favorite spider. (laughs) And the way they shake and vibrate sort of helps tell that story of his frantic soul in a visual way that he's not at rest he's vibrating he has so much anguish coursing through him yeah. you know at all times and of course he's put in direct contrast with Savage Opress mm-hmm. who is not necessarily I mean he's not necessarily a cool calm customer I mean we find out there's a sort of I don't know if it's intentionally comical but when he finds the hut there's nobody home just how quickly he gives up <laughs> You know, howling his dismay and anger at Mother Talzin and throwing this tantrum and accusing her of betraying him. And maybe just played as a little unintentionally comical how fast he gave up rather than just, you know, assuming his brother may not be home. You know, what if he's just out? He's straight away, he's like, it's all been a lie. And, you know, like I've said in previous Savage episodes, he's not, or I, I felt like he's not really a character. He's almost like a force. He's an embodiment of a brutal side of the force. But something in this episode that I noted, particularly because of things you've said in the past about how the show presents fights as if they're kind of janky and binary and not smooth, the grace of Savage's movements in this episode with that double-bladed lightsaber, it's really quite beautiful how smooth and flowing everything is with him in in that moment where he doesn't seem to fight like a brute anymore. He's got... I mean, I know. What is there any other word for it apart from grace? I mean, how how did you like those moments? The junkies that he's fighting—they don't really seem like they're formidable fighters. They're kind of cannon fodder. But the way that that fight shows us that he can move in a way that's not all about brute force—I really dug that moment. It is. It is beautiful to watch. And it was almost like for me, I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm thinking that it almost feels like well, not a lot happens in this episode. Why don't we have uh, some people attack? Savage on the way to it almost feels like an arbitrary fight let's just throw a fight in there but I really did enjoy it I mean it's sort of a beautiful looking fight you know the way it goes down and even the fact that Morley seems to help him out at the end which is kind of neat to see yeah seems to help him out I mean we haven't talked about Morley we've talked about Maul but not Morley the anaconda and I kind of love this creepy slimy guy he's you know, anytime a snake turns up like this in a story, the main two references that I always have, and I'm sure it's similar for a lot of people, are obviously the snake from the Garden of Eden in the Bible story, but also Car from the Jungle yep. Book. I mean, the Jungle Book was the first movie that I ever saw as a kid. You know, I was a tiny little kid, and my auntie took me to the movies for the first time. That's what we saw, and so the Jungle Book's always had a real special place in my heart. And Car was a really, you know, kind of that's a character that leaves an impression. And it didn't hit me at first, but once Savage was dropped into the hole and we see some kind of massive spider in the shadows, that's when it hit me that Morley is kind of Gollum-like. For sure. Like Gollum trying to steer victims towards Shelob, the spider, in Lord of the Rings. 
So, yeah, how did you like the role that Morley played? And how did you like this performance, Robbie, from... Ben Diskin. Ben Diskin. The first thing that I thought when he comes on screen, I was like, I'm not sure if it's who I'm thinking it is, but it sounds, the performance sounds familiar. And it took me a minute to kind of figure it out. Do you know who James Hong is? No. He played Lopan in Big Trouble in Little China. Okay. He's a very famous Chinese actor. He's played a lot of bit parts over the years. I mean, he was in Blade Runner. He's been in all kinds of movies. And he, his voice is very distinctive. And the way that Ben Diskin plays Morley, it's almost like he's channeling James Hong. Right. Yeah, I hear that now. He's one of those people that is, whenever he shows up in something, I love him. I just love the way that he's got a, a way of delivery that I just really, really dig. And maybe it's because I love Big Trouble in Little China so much, but yeah. to me, he his performance is almost channeling James Hong in a way. And I really enjoyed his character and his sort of, you're not really sure if he's good or bad, you know. It's kind of funny that if you think about it, you know, him saving Savage during that fight almost seems counterproductive since five minutes later, he just throws him down the, you know, down the chute anyway. But it was a fun character because you just didn't know where he stood and what he was going to do. Yeah, I thought it was a, a fun character, a real fun character. And, you know, kind of like Sharkman Rift and just basically an <laughs> anaconda, you know. Yeah. He's not a, a, a hybrid of other things. Let's just put a snake in there, a talking snake. And speaking of things that we liked in this episode, Robbie, let's get to our favorite shot of the episode. What was your favorite shot in Brothers? I have to say that even though I, I do enjoy a lot of the lighting, especially toward the end with, you know, Maul kind of almost dancing around the fire like a crazy person, I love the look of Lotho Minor so much. I don't know about you, but for me, when that ship lands, it almost looks like a shot out of Blade Runner 2049 to me. That's ex my, not my exact note, but my thing says it feels like something that Ridley Scott would come up with. I loved it so much the way the fires look it's very uh, almost apocalyptic but it is definitely different and it reminded me of 2049 a lot yeah almost to the point where i was like i wonder if they kind of got because this came out way before 2049 it almost makes you wonder if you know maybe they took a little bit of inspiration from this episode i'm not sure but I really, really enjoyed the look of that. So that's my shot of the episode is that final landing shot. It's almost like it could be out of that movie. Yeah, and it's part of why the pacing in this episode, I mean, we talked about how it's almost like nothing really happens in this episode. It's paced very different from our other episodes, almost as if it's paced to really give us and the audience time to really get a real solid feel for this atmosphere. All the shots in the Atlantic scene are awesome. Mm -hmm. Right from the they first come in, there's that low-level flying and that I love, and there's fires burning, and there's that orange haze. And so the whole environment was something that I just fell in love with, but I couldn't go past that super close-up of Maul's insanely intense face when he says he must have revenge because that was the other part of the episode that gave me goosebumps. That combination of, I mean, it was performance as part of it, but the real close-up on his face what the animators did with that just pretty pretty magical and so before we bring this on for a landing we need to sum up and give our ratings so after your third ever watch Robbie how did you like Brothers and where does it sit on that four star Robbie scale not a lot happens but it to me is absolutely integral to the Clone Wars so for me this is a three three out of four 
Yeah, I like this episode a lot, Robbie. Maybe I didn't completely fall in love with it because Morley is the one who really feels like an actual character. You know, the two Death and Marys are almost like spirits that are expressing themselves you know i mean we didn't talk about how clancy brown i'm sure we've talked about it before but clancy brown is savage's voice but he still doesn't really have a personality that i can grab onto so there's things that don't really click in the episode but the atmosphere was enough to make this episode that i'll definitely look forward to rewatching. so it's a solid seven fire breather walkers out of 10 for me robbie and that's mission accomplished for season four episode 21 brothers so won't you please let the troops out there know what are our communications channels we are Bucho and Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 88th episode of the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's season four, episode 22, Revenge. Revenge. I should have I should have practiced that before I tried it, Robbie. That was terrible. I'm no Sam Wilwer, that's for sure. But until then, this is your old buddy Bucho alongside your trusty pal Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.